When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice doing rants. Sorry, getting it to you a little late recording this Thursday morning. We got quarterback stuff. We have a little realignment stuff. We have some right tackle stuff. We have, uh, let's see, a little bit about money at the end. People don't really like money talk in college football. Little Michigan stuff, little stuff about Ohio Stadium as a home field advantage. But we'll start with Lincoln Keenholz. We appreciate you guys sending in the rants so we can do these things. Rant. I think we need to put a little more respect on Lincoln Keenholz. He is the freshman quarterback in the class of 2023. Was not in for the spring. Will be here for August. To see her now. Like the 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 June guys are coming in now. He admittedly does feel like an afterthought in his class, but he is a top 150 recruit. I think Ryan Day has a great chance to develop Lincoln into a quality starter. I think there is a decent chance he eventually starts for Ohio State. Would love to hear your thoughts. Or should I just be prepared that the transition from Brown, Devin Brown, to Air Noland will work itself out? With the uncertainty around quarterbacks transferring, I think it's possible Lincoln could be the guy someday. Yes, I am from South Dakota. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. So bias is fueling this question. It's not bias. You can stand up for your state. Stand up, South Dakota. Most of what I know about South Dakota is Ohio State played South Dakota in the NCAA tournament in basketball a couple years ago, and they're the Jackrabbits. And I like Mount Rushmore. Big Mount Rushmore fan. Uh, We did, uh, and we went. We went on a family vacation there uh, several years ago. We went to Yellowstone. We went to South Dakota on the way. And my wife was having back trouble. I may have told this story before. My, my wife was having back trouble. We went on a hike to a place called the Devil's Bathtub. And we were hiking, and she, her, her back was really bothering her. And we were, like, walking across this very shallow creek. And she slipped in the creek because it was it was so slippery, so slippery. And she fell flat on her back with her bad back. And I remember looking up where we were in this sort of this uh, this ridge, this cavern, not a cavern, but like we we're surrounded by rock and trees. And as she fell, I remember looking up and thinking, I wonder if a helicopter can get in here to land. Because I thought she potentially was that seriously injured. And it turned out 
She was not injured. The way she fell flat on her back actually knocked her back into alignment, and she was healed at the Devil's Bathtub in South Dakota. So that is, we talk about it, that's like the only, what we feel like, firsthand experience with the miracle that we've encountered in our lives. And uh, so thanks, shout out to South Dakota. Thought she was down for the count, and she was healed in the Devil's Bathtub. I don't think Lincoln Keenholz is going to start. I don't know that Lincoln Keenholz is going to start here. So I looked at the last 10 years of Ohio State quarterback recruiting. JT Barrett was the 2013 Ohio State quarterback recruit. Then he started for a long time. Took up a lot of air in the room because he was really good. So looking from 2014 on, the quarterback recruits for Ohio State. From 14 to 21, there are nine guys who were who signed with Ohio State as quarterback recruits. Two of them started. Two of them wound up as starters. Stephen Collier, low-ranked recruit, never in the mix to start in 14. 2015, Torrance Gibson came here, thought he was going to be a quarterback, got shifted to receiver very quickly, but where was quarterback chatter when he got here? Number 82 recruit, never in the mix to start a quarterback. Joe Burrow, 295 recruit in that class. We know what happened to Joe Burrow. Clearly in the mix, but never was the starter here. 2016, Dwayne Haskins, he's a number 91 recruit. He becomes a starter. 2017, Tate Martell, he's the number 56 overall recruit. Never really in the mix to start here because Justin Fields gets here. 2018, Matthew Baldwin, number 331 quarterback recruit. A lot of talk is like, hey, Ryan Day went and found this guy. Never in the mix to start here. 2020, CJ Stroud, number 42, becomes the starter. 2020, Jack Miller, number 334, competed, but like you never, you never really thought it was going to be Jack Miller. And then he transfers to Florida. 2021, Quinn Ewers, number one recruit in the class, transfers after a year. Also, of course, Kyle McCord also in that class. But Collier to Ewers, that's nine guys that signed with Ohio State. And that doesn't include guys like Dwayne Mathis and Emory Jones and guys who were very much in the mix as recruits. One time committed, then decommit. Justin Fields blew a hole in a lot of plans for other guys. But my point is, there's a lot of guys that we talk a lot about that you think a lot about. You should. It's quarterback recruiting. It's the kind of thing I always say, like, there are people who love recruiting, and but everyone's interested in quarterback recruiting. That's two starters out of nine guys. So there are a lot of quarterbacks. It's the nature of the beast. There are a lot of quarterbacks that come through here that are never going to start. So that's why when looking ahead, I, at least myself, I'll speak for me, you just lean on the higher rated recruit in quarterback recruiting when you're when you're looking ahead. So when you look now, you have Kyle McCord, the number 28 player in his class, Devin Brown, the number 43 player in his class. They're competing right now. And you would assume one of the two of them is also going to be the starter in 2024. Because it's either the guy who wins this year stays and starts again in 24, or the guy who doesn't win this year is around next year and becomes the starter as the most experienced guy in the room. So, right, so say McCord wins it. Well, what's more likely, what's the most likely thing? Well, either McCord stays and is a two-year starter in 24, or McCord goes to the NFL, and then Devin Brown's the leader in the clubhouse to start in 24. Air Noland, as the 24 recruit, the 2024 recruit, is number 59 overall player, and Lincoln Keenholz is the number 189 overall player. So Lincoln Keenholz at 189 is between... McCord and Brown, who are 28 and 43, and Noland, who's 59. It's not the end-all, be-all. And by the way, Lincoln Keenholz, as we said, this is 247 sports ratings. He's not the 600s like Stephen Collier was, right? This is not a guy with zero chance. 
So I understand saying you've got to put you, you want to put respect on Lincoln Keenholz's name, and once you get here, recruiting rankings don't matter in the competition. The best guy wins. It's just that often the recruiting rankings kind of tell you who has the most natural talent. He's also coming from South Dakota. No offense. Sioux City, lovely. No offense. But it's not the same kind of high school level of competition as if you're coming from Florida or you're coming from Texas or you're like, okay, you're coming in. This guy coming from Georgia, right? Maybe you went to an academy. So I understand what you're saying. I'm just not going to. And let Lincoln Keenholz win the job. Great. Win it. Beat out Air Nolan. Beat out Devin Brown. Great. It just seems like it's also very possible if 24 is Brown or McCord, which I think is the a reasonable assumption right now, then by 2025, you would have, as things stand, third-year Lincoln Keenholz versus second-year Air Nolan, neither of whom would have much experience. And so then where are you? That might be a little bit like... Joe Burrow and Dwayne Haskins. Joe Burrow was a year older. Dwayne Haskins was ahead in that competition when Joe Burrow left. If Joe Burrow hadn't been hurt. Could have been a little different, right? If Joe Burrow was hurt during the season before. We all know that story. So it's not impossible. But when looking ahead, I'm going to lean to the guys who are ranked in the top 60 in the country as opposed to the guy who's a top 150, top 100 top 200 recruit, especially again when Lincoln Keenholz wasn't the plan A in his class. He's a guy Ohio State gets too late after other things kind of don't pop. They flip him from Washington. Doesn't mean, I mean, listen, man, Washington might be a playoff team this year, right? That's a big loss for Washington. So it could happen, but I actually think it's kind of better for Lincoln Keenholz. It's great to be underrated. It's great to be the guy off the radar. So that's how I'm going to view that. But it's a reminder that it's not that you don't put respect on a guy's name, but you can't assume, you can't operate under the assumption that every quarterback that signs at Ohio State is one day going to be a starter because the math just doesn't line up. Because the only way that works out is like if if every guy starts for one year. It's like, okay, we signed the guy. He starts for one year. He's gone. The next guy, and like Ryan Day doesn't want that. You don't want that. Nobody wants that. You'd rather, Ryan Day's dream is a second-year starting quarterback. He talked about that so much when he had C.J. Stroud that he had two years of Justin Fields as a starter, but the second year was COVID year. He didn't have the first year working here with Justin Fields. C.J. Stroud was the path I think that they would like, right? That big-time recruit, learn as a freshman, start as a sophomore and junior, go to the NFL. I think that for anybody is the ideal quarterback progression path in major college football for big-time offensive programs right now. So if you can hit on that, that means there has to be somebody around you that isn't on that path because you're a two-year starter and somebody's getting bumped. So good luck to Lincoln Keenholz, but that's why we talk about it that way. Also, we haven't seen him. So now we're going to see him because he wasn't here in the spring. Let Lincoln Keenholz get here. Let us get our eyeballs on him a little bit as the media. You guys will get eyeballs on him in the spring game next year. And it's like, oh, who cares about recruiting rating? This guy, this guy looks awesome. Great. Let's do that. But that's kind of why we do it the way we do right now. But we really appreciate the question from South Dakota. And by the way, the Devil's Bathtub, a lovely hike from the 614. 
French Vanilla, I missed the opportunity to submit this for a rapid fire. I actually have a plan the pods on the pod request, which you know, you guys know we love to do that. I think we need a weekly pod or at least a weekly segment on the team up north. Maybe it's called the Michigan Minute. I hate, hate, hate them, but I want to know what's up. I think about the outcome of next November's game at least once or twice every day. I think we need updates, assistant coaching changes, recruiting momentum, etc. I hate that this is giving them credit, but the truth is the truth. Make it happen, boys. If you think Buckeye Talk listeners would disagree with me, throw out a survey and see what the people want. That's our, our guy, Greg C74. I think this is very divided, and I think we can do a survey on this. We definitely hear from people who say, stop talking about Michigan so much. We did a three-part Michigan series a month ago. We did, although I will tell you that we did Ohio State versus Michigan recruiting about a week ago, Stephen and I did, and like that pod's doing very well. The, the, the recruiting pods, if you put recruiting in a title of a pod, and not that it's in the title, it's because that's what you talked about, people really, people do want talk about recruiting. So it's more recruiting, I think, than Michigan. We hear from people who say, stop, 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 that they don't. It's, it's, do you want to know about the boogeyman around the corner? Or do you want to be surprised? Do you sort of like, even if you know he's there, do you not want to think about him every day? Back in the day, and it's funny as I think about the evolution, we all know this is like sports media, that kind of thing. Back before pods, back before we were digital, when I was doing, you know, my primary job when I got here in 2005 was writing for a newspaper. And I did a big. I would cover the game on Saturday, then on Sunday, all day, I would work on a major, big college football package that we would run in the Monday paper. And it's funny, when Zach Meisel started with us after he graduated from Ohio State, when we went digital, he was part of the Ohio State coverage team in 2013 with me and Ari, and now Zach went on and was an Indians writer for us, now the Guardians, he's been at The Athletic for a long time, excellent sports journalist. And uh, I remember him saying that to me, like, that's what he read. Because I was like, hey, I'm old. He's young. He grew up in the Columbus, uh, the Cleveland suburbs. But like, hey, that Monday college football package. So my point here is like, I was like, okay, I want to I wanna color, cover college football comprehensively in this Monday package. And one of the things we did was the weekly Wolverine watch. Because I did believe that. I did believe that you guys wanted in your world through your lens, what's up with Michigan? So I have provide I have done that as part of my job in the past. Do you want that on the pod? I think it's possible. I think we will survey it. I, I'm sure it's going to be split. I don't know if it's going to be 50-50. We do have Jimmy Watkins now, which is again, he's doing a great job in this great, great gig that we have as the rivalry writer. And the point is, I do think that, listen, you guys can get Michigan information. You can Google Michigan Wolverines. You can Google Jim Harbaugh. You can Google J.J. McCarthy. You can Google Blake Corum and find things out about them. But I do think you want it through your lens. You want it through the Ohio State side of things. So that's what we could bring that the rest of the internet that covers Michigan would not. So I do think it's possibly worth it. I also think it possibly would drive some of you crazy. And I think I'd rather probably know. But I also like when we talk about Michigan, at least me, when I talk about Michigan right now, it's mostly praise for Michigan because I think they're really good. And the thing that happens, and I've always said this, is when you cover a team, you know the team that you cover, you know their warts. You know everything they do well, but you also know every problem they potentially have. When you're from afar, and we're not going to be, I'm not going to be at a Michigan news conference every week, 
I'm not as inside on Michigan's warts, so it kind of winds up being like, man, Michigan's good, Michigan's good, which is a good reminder. But we, we of course, when we see weaknesses, would point them out. Ohio State can attack this. Ohio State can attack this. Michigan maybe can attack Ohio State in this way. I do think it's probably reached that point because Michigan does have an effect on Ohio State's possibilities for winning a national title. I almost think it might be the last year of that because in 2024 with the 12-team playoff, okay, it matters that Michigan's good, but there's room for both in the playoff, and it's not quite as life or death. And as we've talked about it a million times, the 12-team playoff and the realignment in the Big Ten and all these things is just going to change a little bit, maybe a lot, how we view Ohio State-Michigan. So this might be the last year where it would make sense to have weekly intense focus because what Michigan is doing would have such an effect on Ohio State because, yes, Ohio State got help and got in the playoff last year and had a chance to win the national title, but it's more likely that the loser of that game in a four-team playoff is out. And also, it's more likely that whether or not the this playoff stuff on the line, you guys really, really care, obviously, about Ohio State beating Michigan. We'll take it into consideration. We appreciate the suggestion, Greg C74. And I've talked about it long enough for you listening to it to decide in your own mind that sounds interesting to me, or that sounds like a thing where I would throw my phone in a pond. I would get out of my car and run into a wheat field and run in a circle and scream. I would turn off Buckeye Talk and never listen to it again. What would you think of the Michigan Minute, maybe? every week during the season on Buckeye Talk. We'll have to think about it. We'll also have to think about Josh Simmons when we come back after this on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back from the 567. My rant is about the right tackle competition, specifically how badly I want Josh Simmons to win it. I'll be honest, when he first committed, I was skeptical on how a starter from a G5 school like San Diego State could help the room, but the more I think about it, the more I want him to win the job, not necessarily because of his ability, but because of what it could mean for the versatility and depth of the offensive line. If Simmons wins the starting job, I think Zen Mahalski and Tegra Shibola could be the excellent 6th and 7th offensive linemen. Zen could be a swing tackle, having spent the last two years behind Paris at left tackle, and obviously competing at right tackle this offseason. Similarly, Tegra could hold down the right side of the line at either position, guard or tackle. That's Anthony from Finley. I do believe in guys knocking everybody else into their correct role. And from that standpoint, that's what could happen here. And Anthony, I think you have a good thought there. You, We looked at the tackle competition in the spring, and it just felt like they were a guy, maybe a guy and a half short. But if you get to a point where you feel good about Josh Fryer at left tackle, and you get to a point where you feel good about Josh Simmons at right tackle, now everything else does fall into place. And I think it's what you're talking about, Anthony. Okay, is Zen Mahalski a reasonable swing tackle? Yeah, he is, absolutely. Tegra Shibola as a future starter on this offensive line, but he can play guard or tackle right now. Does that make sense? He's a second-year guy who was a top 150 national recruit. Yeah, absolutely. You're not... You're not accelerating his timetable. You throw in Enoch Vamahi as a veteran guy who's a backup inside. You throw in Vic Cutler as a transfer who came here to compete but could be your backup center. And the rest of that line falls into place because there's so much. We spend so much time on the offensive line. And then, honestly, in the end, what really happens a lot of the time is, was your offensive line healthy or not? Was your starting offensive line healthy or not? 
because most big-time places, you get to five. And even Ohio State with this uncertainty, the idea of you get to five and you're okay. But then do you wind up having to start your fifth or your, you know, excuse me, your sixth or your seventh guy? Or do you wind up in a spot where you're healthy all year? We picked five, we played five. That is a luxury, and Ohio State's had that often. That's where, okay, who six and seven really matters and where Josh Simmons could really factor in. Now, if Josh Simmons doesn't win it and Josh Simmons becomes part of the depth, but that means Zen Mahalski or Tegra Shabola is a starter and okay, it's the same kind of thing. But that idea, because Josh Simmons has started before, so you're not asking him to do something he's never done. You're just asking him to do it at a different level. We know he didn't have the best PFF grade in the world at San Diego State last year. But I do think in the end, Josh Simmons could be one of these. It's basically, in the end, he's kind of picked San Diego State because of COVID, because the recruiting. He didn't get out as quite as much. It was, it was more of a local school. He did have Power 5 offers. And if this becomes a thing where... COVID led him to San Diego State, but he really is an Ohio State kind of player. This could be like a COVID fallout that we can, that we still tell. It's like, what are still the effects of that season on college football? Oh, well, Ohio State got this Josh Simmons guy who really was better than anybody realized. That's possible here. But I think it's it's partly, Anthony, it's it's why adding Josh Simmons to the room was a was an important step to do coming out of spring. Because you give more options. So more options, good, but depth, good. So it's not only about who's your fifth guy. Let's get our best five, get our best five. But it's also like who's six, who's seven, who's eight. There was a year a couple years ago, it's more like a decade now, in the run where D'Antonio, Mark D'Antonio at Michigan State was winning 10 games every year. They had like a seven and six year in there. And it was a year where they had like three or four of their starters on the offensive line injured. It was like, okay, well, that was kind of the only difference. And then there was a run that the Buckeyes had with Urban Meyer where they, I think it might have been up until, what was it? They might, I think like they went for a stretch, maybe four or five years where they didn't have a major injury on the offensive line. That was the bottom line. Then somebody got hurt. It was Brandon Bowen or Demetrius Knox or somebody. And it kind of ended that, but it was a reminder of how healthy they had been on the offensive line. It's like, yes. Taylor Decker was awesome, and and Pat Elfline was awesome, and Wyatt Davis is awesome, and jo- but you're healthy, and that really matters. So, yes, in general, I'll also agree with the idea of if Josh Simmons wins that right tackle job, that's probably the best outcome for Ohio State. The best outcome is the best guy wins it. But if Josh Simmons is the best guy, I think it allows everything else to to go to its appropriate place where the rest of that room suddenly falls into line. This is Will in the 717. Doug, sorry for the long rant. That's fine. My rant is admitting that you are right about the shoe not being an atmosphere that gives Ohio State a home field advantage anymore. I went to my first Ohio State home game in 2000 and continued to see at least one game a year until 2011. During those years, the shoe was definitely loud and an atmosphere I thought was in the top tier of college football. When I started listening to Buckeye Talk, I was stunned to hear you say the shoe wasn't an atmosphere that gave Ohio State an advantage. After re-watching the 2006 Michigan-Ohio State game, you are completely right. That game was loud from start to finish in a way that I haven't felt from an OSU game in a while. How do we get back to the days where opponents feared playing in the horseshoe? Thank you guys for all the hard work. Easily my favorite Buckeye podcast. Will, very kind. We appreciate you uh, keeping us employed. I think expectations factor into this. And I think often when you think about home field advantage, there are times when the crowd lifts up a good team at home against a great team. When you think about, 
you think about, okay, like the Penn State, and this is the thing, because we we view all the home field advantages in the Big Ten through the lens of Ohio State. Because guess what? Those teams are up for Ohio State. So if Ohio State goes in there and blows their doors off in the first quarter, guess what? It's not a home field advantage anymore. If that team, if the home team competes, that home team is competing with Ohio State. And that typically is the biggest thing that team can do that year. At home, have a chance to beat Ohio State. It's the highlight of the season. That applies to Michigan. So do you think Michigan's a great home field advantage? Well, if they're competing with Ohio State, it is. Penn State. Penn State can be super loud, but it cannot be any louder than when it's a whiteout at night in a competitive game against Ohio State. Think about 2014 there, the double overtime game. Think about 2016 there. Think about when, when Penn State wins. Think about 2018 when Ohio State requires a fourth quarter comeback. They're going nuts because they're competing with Ohio State. Wisconsin, the place shakes. It shakes all the time when they do jump around going into the fourth quarter. But what do I think about with Wisconsin, I think about Wisconsin returning the opening kickoff in 2010 in a game when they beat number one Ohio State. The place is going to be nuts. Iowa, it's cramped. The, the sideline's right on top of you. That's when Ohio State's, you know, in a game at Iowa when you really feel that. The thing that I think happens at Ohio Stadium is the expectations are so high that a home crowd enters the stadium expecting to win, not hoping to win expecting to win and that means when it gets if it goes sideways at all i don't know that the if the home crowd at ohio stadium then lifts the team up or if the home crowd gets worried and if you're using 2006 michigan as your your tent pole okay compared to that well that's a one two game there's less expectation around that that one-two game is like, listen, man, it's Michigan. It's the rivalry. They're number two. They're both undefeated. What are we doing here? Ohio State certainly could lose this game. So as a crowd, we have to lift our team. When the crowd feels an impetus to lift our team, I don't think it's about acoustics. I don't think it's about whether you have a DJ or, um, you know, like, like the band playing at timeouts. I don't think it's about the chance on the scoreboard. I don't think it's about whether it's at night or whether it's at noon. I think it's about the feeling the crowd has when it walks into a stadium and then what happens when something goes wrong. And does the crowd lift up or does the crowd get tight? Does the crowd get worried? And I will just tell you, I think the crowd at Ohio Stadium gets worried when something goes sideways. So how could you fix that? I think it's like internal. <laughs> it's, and it goes back to someone. I think people, I'm gonna, I'll get more to it on a, on a later pod because I didn't grab them for this. But we did the pot about like expectations, national title standard. I just think when you have super high expectations, it's it's hard to act as like, hey, hey, come on, fellas. It's more like, okay, well, this is kind of who we are. There's an expectation. And I think that's what it is, honestly. And I just don't know. Um, like when you get ahead, right? I think you can put your, net, your foot on somebody's neck with the help of the crowd. So I... 
That's what I think it is. I, I think the shoe is is a good stadium, but I think it's more about the vibe and it's the high standard. And it's that, I mean, there are the times, and here's the other thing. So in the Big Ten, with what Ohio State's been for the past decade, it's a constant expectation that Ohio State in a Big Ten game is the favorite. At home in a Big Ten game, by default, Ohio State's a favorite. And then the non-conference games have not, like they get behind they're losing. They've lost so many of the non-conference games that there really hasn't been as much of an opportunity to sort of like lift your team up because they're losing to Virginia Tech or they're losing to USC or they're losing to Oklahoma or they're losing to Oregon, right? And I think it's like you get you get tight because they're behind. So I, I think it's part of where Ohio State is right now, the incredible success and the incredibly high standards, which I think help lead to less of a let's get them fellas atmosphere in a home stadium. I, I'm here. I'm here to hear differently. 614-350-3315. But I think, I think my belief that there are multiple other better home atmospheres are a result of me seeing those home atmospheres through the lens of Ohio State is the opponent. So if you're telling me that, then peak Beaver Stadium for Penn State, peak Camp Randall for Wisconsin, peak Kinnick Stadium for Iowa, I don't think Ohio State matches that because I've seen those places when those schools are giving Ohio State a game. And Ohio State never has that opportunity. Let's get back. Let's check it when Bama gets to the shoe. Let's check it when Georgia gets to the shoe. I think because even like Michigan last year, yes, you want to lift them up, but it's the Michigan game. And now Ohio State's coming in having lost the year before. And it's like, okay, Ohio State's going to win. We're going to get Michigan back. Here we go. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Uh, Ohio State just missed a tackle and Cornelius Johnson ran for a touchdown. What happens then? Lift up or get worried? I think it's a get worried kind of place, which is part of being great which is great part of having expectation if you think i'm wrong let me know the text 614-350-3315 we talked about meat on the bone this is from the 908 fat is flavor buckeye talk more fat a meat has the more flavorful it is that's why wagyu is so expensive and delicious it is marbled with fat Extended to chicken, real chicken wings, drums have bones that are parts of the chicken that have more fat, therefore more flavorful. Just wanted to elaborate to explain why Nathan and Steven say things with bones are better. Um, my wife and I have talked about that, that whole thing, Jack Spratt would eat no fat, right? That's me. I'm Jack Spratt, man. No fat. I'm the, I, I, and I understand it. I, I understand the idea of that is how that works for normal humans. I don't want that. So I don't want marbling in my steak. I don't want fat. And so that's why I don't want bones. <laughs> is the conclusion that Doug doesn't want flavor? That's possible. That that actually might be what that conclusion is. And that's who I am. Unfortunately, for all of us. From the 716. All right, this is a thing that happened I don't even know. I got to think of it. I got to get the right name here. The AAU. It's not AAU basketball like, uh, you know, 
uh, playing stuff in the summer. It's the Association of American Universities. It's this group of America's, this is on their letterhead, America's Leading Research Universities. So it's like a club where you get invited in and then everybody's like, hey, we're smart, which is great. It's good to have a smart club. There are some places in there that have been in for 100 years. Ohio State's been in the AAU since 1916. Like this is like there's this is old. Michigan's been in since 1900. Some of them got in more recently. Utah got in in 2019. Texas has been in since 1929. So it's just it's just a group, right? But it comes up in expansion because the Big 10 traditionally has said if we want to expand and this is why it's so weird. If we want to expand a football you expand for football because you expand for money. But then you're also the Big Ten and the Pac-12, to some extent, brings in this educational component where it's like, well, we only want to expand with universities that are in the AAU. It has to do with how much like research you do. I think it might have to do with whether you have a medical campus, all this kind of stuff that has nothing to do with football. But we know they only expand for football and for TV. But this is like a secondary thing. But whether or not a university is in the AAU has been a discussion point during Big Ten expansion. And actually, so all current Big well, this is wrong. When Nebraska joined the Big Ten, they were in the AAU. And then that's when they got admitted to the Big Ten, they were in the AAU. Then actually, before they even got in, they got kicked out of the AAU. So right now, Nebraska is the only Big Ten university not in this group. Rutgers is in, Maryland is in, USC is in, UCLA is in. So the Big Ten says this is almost like a requirement. They say it's very important. I don't know that they say it's an end-all, be-all. They say it's very important. They've said it multiple times. So the deal is Notre Dame was not in the AAU. And then recently, this year, within the last month, multiple universities were admitted to the AAU, Notre Dame among them. So now, as a Big Ten expansion candidate, which at least theoretically, Notre Dame always is, Notre Dame now meets this academic threshold, which previously has been something the Big Ten has talked about when thinking about new members, okay? I know it's so fun, but this is what the Big Ten does. So this is the question. This is the rant from the 716. And it's a smart rant. So I just wanted to explain that for people who don't know what's up. Notre Dame joining the AAU but seeming to have no intention to join the Big Ten feels like a troll move. I realize it's an educational institution and wasn't motivated by football, but it kind of feels like Notre Dame knows what it's doing. Can we get Notre Dame, Oregon, Washington, and either Miami, North Carolina, or Stanford in the Big Ten already? This year is a strong schedule, but still we're talking four or five good games in a 12-game season. We only get 12 regular season games a year. Let's make a super conference so we can play more top-level and mid-level teams and less Rutgers, Indiana, Purdue, and Northwestern. In a 12-team playoff world, let's uh, get games on in the regular season a little more like the NFL. Again, that's from the 716. So the idea of what happened with this AAU thing. So here's the thing. So when you think about the other Big Ten expansion candidates that come up, Washington's in the AAU. Oregon's in the AAU. Georgia Tech's in the AAU. North Carolina's in the AAU. Virginia's in the AAU. Duke's in the AAU. Pitt's in the AAU. West Virginia's not, which I do think is a factor of like whenever you think about, hey, West Virginia geographically, culturally, I think would fit with the Big Ten a lot, but it's not the AAU. 
like Clemson and Florida State, if you're thinking about could there be ACC teams, there seems to be upheaval in the ACC, could that ever lead to Big Ten teams? I just think it's like, why would why would the Big Ten think about Georgia Tech, North Carolina, Virginia, Duke ahead of Clemson or Florida State? This is part of it. I actually think the most interesting new program, the most interesting new educational institution to join the AAU in this cycle is not Notre Dame, it's Miami. Because you can look at all those Southern ACC schools and it's mostly Miami, Florida State, Clemson. It's like, hey, they're good at football. They would make sense in the SEC. If the Big Ten, which has wanted to be in New York, has wanted to be in LA, if they said, we do want to go South, but we aren't thinking South like Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Georgia. We're thinking South like Florida. We're thinking South like cities. I think Miami joining the AAU might scooch Miami into a Big Ten conversation more than it was previously. Because if you were looking for ACC football outposts, which Georgia Tech is not, with North Carolina is not, which Virginia is not, Pitts in the ACC, Pitts in the AAU, that's always interesting. Like they're in the ACC, but they're right here, right? They'd be a natural fit. Penn State, Ohio State, you could Rutgers, Maryland. There's a lot of things that would make sense about Pitt. But if the Big Ten wanted to expand to a new place, football, culture, urban center, eyeballs, education, Miami joining the AAU might be something to keep your eye on. There's a part of me that's like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Like, what? But if they go to LA, why wouldn't they go to Miami? So anything's on the table. They would have taken Notre Dame as a non-AAU member all along the way. The Big Ten's wanted Notre Dame forever, but the Big Ten wants the Big Ten on the Big Ten's terms. Notre Dame wants everything on Notre Dame's terms. So I don't know that the a joining the AAU makes it any more likely that Notre Dame joins the Big Ten, but I think it's a smart acknowledgement by the texter. These kind of things matter. They're all in the mix. But Notre Dame kind of doing it and being like, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, like, you guys are all this thing. We're not this thing, even though we're not the thing. We know you still want us. But also, now we are the thing, but we're still not joining you. I get it as a troll move. Like, if the texter's suggesting that, I know what you're saying. I, I still think... I still think there's a guy that I follow. There's a part of me that wants to have him on the pod, and there's a part of me that doesn't. He's like a former TV guy. He tweets like 70 times a day. But there's a constant discussion. So I do have in my Twitter timeline, among the people I follow, I have realignment expansion discussion in my timeline every day, mostly from this one guy. And it feels like the people like that who are knee-deep in this every day, it's just not, they don't think it's there right now. And I think the proof we've seen of, Listen, Kevin Warren left the TV deal for the Big Ten, as we've talked about before, a little bit up in the air. They've got to get that sorted out. They've got to get USC and UCLA in, and then we'll get to the next thing. I still think Oregon-Washington will be in the Big Ten at some point. Sooner than later, but maybe sooner means five years from now, not 18 months from now. I still think Cal and Stanford are possible. I still think we we maybe get towards something more like there's instead of a power five and a group of five, 
instead of a world where it's sort of like the SEC, the Big Ten, the ACC, the Big 12, the Pac-12. It's more like the SEC and the Big Ten. It's like a group of two and then, you know, a power two and a group of six. And whoever's left in the ACC and whoever's left in the Big 12, it doesn't mean you can't make the playoff. It doesn't mean you can't win a national title. Just like it never meant that Cincinnati couldn't make the playoff. It was just more difficult. Or there's fewer opportunities. I still think we get to that. It might not be only the SEC and the Big Ten. But the other thing is, those big conferences still want a couple easy games, I think. I think these big-time programs still don't want to play 12 slobber knockers a year. So as much as it's good for the fans, like great games all the time, I don't think they want parity to the point where legitimately Ohio State has a chance to lose every week. Ohio State still wants to play in Indiana, a Rutgers, a Northwestern a couple times a year, or a Western Kentucky or a Toledo or a team like that. So um, I still think that's part of it, but I, I, you know, said 10 years from now, Will the Big Ten be bigger than it is right now? Will the Big Ten be bigger than 16 teams from 10 years from now? My answer would be a resounding yes. And then the top of the list of who would be in that, I still would have Washington and Oregon. The the invite's there for Notre Dame whenever they want it. If the ACC blows up or is lesser, would that get Notre Dame in? Maybe. But also, we can talk ourselves blue in the face about this stuff. And and not a lot changes. We kind of know the deal, which is why it's smart by the texture to note something that did change. Congratulations to Notre Dame and Miami couple other schools, South Florida, a couple other schools joined the AAU. Great. We'll finish up two more things on rants next on Buckeye Talk. All right, a quick one from our friend Joseph in Atlanta. Rant, why does every company and website need to shill their pointless mobile app? I just want to check your restaurant's menu, find a nearby location, or some other one-off task. I don't need your stupid mobile app. I can't be the only person who's annoyed by this, am I? That's Joseph in Atlanta. I do think... It's very valuable for everybody. This includes media companies, includes businesses to sort of own their way of communicating with people because I think you have less and less trust in Facebook, in Twitter, in the Google algorithm. If you type in, I want pancakes, and it's like maybe the algorithm will take you to the pancake shack, but maybe it'll take you... Um, to the Pancake Shed. So if you're the Pancake Shack and it's like, well, we want people to find us, but if we tell them, get the Pancake Shack app, that's us. We control it. I know that's a thing for us. So tech subscribers, we like having you there because then we control the communication of you, with you. If Twitter goes down or if Twitter changes the algorithm or Facebook or whatever, our website, you know, the Google, we have a direct way. And yeah, we make a little bit of money off of it. And, you know, we got to make money or we wouldn't exist. But it's that we control the interaction. And so that's why I think they drive you to that. And the more unsteady the public inter- the public forums get, Hey, well, it's like, hey, we'll just go to our Facebook page. It's like, I don't know. Well, did your Facebook page get hacked? Hey, go to Twitter. Well, did the the Twitter algorithm of how people find you change? If you got the app, you got the app. So that's why they do it. I also agree it can be annoying. But I do think as a consumer, you can't get every app, right? You can't fill your whole phone with 200 apps. But if the Pancake Shack 
is one of your 10 favorite restaurants or one of your five favorite restaurants or one of the, the 10 most important businesses in your life, it might not be a terrible idea to get the Pancake Shack app because you then have a direct relationship with them, which they value and which you, by being a loyal customer, value. And the bottom line is, if you love a thing, you don't want it to go out of business. So it can be like, ah, businesses, man. Hey, businesses are always trying to get money. It's like, well, if they don't get money, they're going to leave. So if you like a thing and you want to support it, uh, you don't want to clog up your phone. But Joseph, I'm with you. And and I'm probably a bad, not a bad consumer. I'm an, here's a shock. I'm an annoyed consumer. So as much as I can say, you guys should do this or whatever. I mean, I don't do it either. But I do think that's why they do it. So, so, uh, so but sorry. But you can't trust, I mean, you can't trust. It's hard to, because like one of those things, the public forum, it's like, well, you get to the public square and like uh, it's on fire. <laughs> it's like, oh, they burned down the public square. What are you going to do now? Well, um, if you like write up a pamphlet and drop it on somebody's doorstep, you have more direct control of that. All right. Last thing is about money. Can you all stop talking about the Big Ten making money like the fans should care? None of that money is going to us, so I'm not sure why we would care. Just within the past couple of years, people started talking about the money that conferences make like that money is going to them from the 419. It's exactly right. I completely agree with this rant. But the reason that I think we talk about money is because money controls everything. So money controls what TV networker you're on. Money controls who's what conference your team is in and who is in the conference with you. Money controls whether the playoff to determine a national champion is four teams or 12 teams. So I hope, so when we say, hey, by the way, the Big Ten announced last year, you know, every member made $55 million from its TV contract. The, the SEC says they made $48 million from their TV contract. The ACC says they made $36 million. You don't care. You shouldn't. But is that a reason that like, oh, that's why USC and UCLA are joining the Big Ten? Yes. That's a reason why maybe the Big Ten will expand and other conferences will shrink? Yes. So I hope we don't spend too much time talking straight money. But what the money means, what the money changes, because Michigan State, Ohio State is a night game this year in November because of money. So the money doesn't affect you, but the money affects the game time and the game time affects you. So that's on us to talk about the results of the money and not the money itself. Because that's the, the thing that I, that I wish it would matter is, oh, they have a huge TV contract. Ticket prices went down, but that doesn't happen. Oh, they have a huge TV contract. They said they don't need donations from fans this year. Keep your money. The athletic department's good. They don't do that. So you're right. Good text, good rant. It's a reminder to us. Money for the sake of money is a horribly boring sports discussion in general, but especially a college sports discussion. Money and what it affects in the world does matter, but we have to be smart about how we do it. All right, that's it. You're listening to this on Thursday. Thursday afternoon, the Big Ten is announcing its football schedule for 2024. We will have a pot up Friday discussing that. It will be up a little later on Friday, but we will get to that. We have a Market Down Monday planned for next week. We have a Ryan Day podcast plan. There are recruiting camps happening that we will start talking about and wrapping up on Buckeye Talk. In the meantime, make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Go to our mobile app. I'm just kidding. We do have one, but we don't pimp it here. On the show, if you want to find, 
Uh, I'm a sellout. I'm a sellout. But um, you guys can find us. Mostly listen to the pod. Go to cleveland.com slash OSU and try the text if you want. We appreciate you guys keeping us employed for now. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.